Hello there. My name is Shirley Fisher, and I'm an illustrator, creative business owner, and mom of two. I've been slowly growing from a part-time creator to a full-time working artist since 2016, so I know the joy and struggle of working for yourself and how mindset can impact your growth. It's here where we dig deep through vulnerable chats about running a creative business and uprooting our limiting beliefs. My hope is that you walk away from these conversations feeling empowered with a greater sense of clarity and community. So find a cozy spot, open up your heart, and prepare to be encouraged. Welcome to the Tillage Podcast. Are you ready to turn your passion into profit and make your artistic dreams a reality? Then save the date for August 15th because that's when Stacey Bloomfield's free mini course, The Artist Side Hustle, begins. Stacy's free mini course will teach you 13 ways anyone can sell their art without selling their soul, a practical roadmap to get started and move forward, the framework to use five hours a week to create income from your art, and how to leverage your art into income opportunities and set your dreams in motion. Stacy will open your eyes to all the opportunities that are available to us as artists. This free mini course also includes live Q&As, prizes, and giveaways, so you aren't going to want to miss out. Stacy has spoken to thousands of artists about how they want to get their art onto products, pursue art licensing, and make money, but they just don't know where to start, especially when they're busy and everyday responsibilities pull them away from their dreams of being working artists. This mini course will teach you how to effectively use five hours a week so that you're actually pitching your art, creating products, and moving towards your goals. Are you ready to join me? Find my affiliate link to sign up today in the description below or head on over to the tillagepodcast.com in today's show notes. Hi, Stacey. Thank you so much for coming on the Tillage Podcast. I do have to give a little bit of a background story here with my relationship with you because You were the first artist that made me realize, oh, this is possible. I got a random thing in my inbox from some Etsy seller I had bought a template off of. And she was like, here's Stacey Bloomfield, my friend who's doing this workshop that you can attend. And I was like, how interesting. So I jumped in and I just was captivated by how authentic you were. And how you not only painted this picture of how able someone is to become an artist, but you didn't shy away from the hard parts of it. But it was like for the first time, like, oh, this is attainable. Like having multiple streams of income and licensing. It was like the first time I'd really heard about licensing. And so I just have to give that background because this was in 2020 and I have just followed you ever since. And it was also in your mastermind. So I'm just so excited for you to be here today. (laughs) Surely, I thank you for telling me that. I, first of all, I think you're amazing, the bee's knees. And it's really, how do I put this? Having someone describe how they met you and what they think about you, it never <laughs> is like, it always feels humbling and you all, you just never know where someone's going to meet you or when they're going to meet you in their journey or your own journey. So I'm just thankful that we have crossed paths. Same. I just think you're awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah. Well, we're just going to jump in. We are talking all about... Oh, goodness. Letting things go, handing things off, asking for help. 
scarcity mindset, we're just going to jump right in. But before we do, I would love for you to just show us your journey because I see you as a pilgrim, just like all of us on this little creative journey. But I think you've like leveled up to, you know, like a scout master or a trailblazer. You've, you've leveled up. You've been at this for 15 years <laughs> or so. So yeah. I would love for you to tell us like, what was the very beginning of your story and where are you now? Yeah. Okay. Where do I begin? Well, it's kind of you to say that I was actually reading a book today by Brendan Bruchard, and he was talking about all these different levels of where people are at, like highly successful people and the habits that they build. He was talking about like all the differences between, you know, someone who's a dabbler versus a novice versus an amateur versus someone who's like a player versus a high performer, which is where I imagine all of us want to end up and where I'm trying to you know, cushion myself into right now as being a consistent high performer. And now all these years into it, I I can feel like sometimes I'm there. And I think for a lot of people, when they look at me online and with my business, they probably, you know, think I feel like just this all-star. <laughs> but the truth is, the truth is, is that uh, when I think back to when I started Gingerbur, my, my illustration company is called Gingerbur. I had no idea what I was doing, but I will tell you, I've always put out this sense of false confidence, apparently, as far as I can remember. In fact, I was telling my kids, we're just playing ping pong. And I was like, I was like, you don't understand. Mama used to be like a player. She used to be when everything she did. And I was like hearing myself talking. I'm like, I sound so conceited, but I think I've always just been this goofy person who puts out this array of confidence and fun. So when I was younger, I taught myself how to draw puppy dogs and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm going to be an artist. No question about it. I'm going to be an artist, y'all. And no one really said anything to me otherwise. I mean, I had a few doubters who were like, what are you going to do? Like have a kiosk in the mall? And I was like, (laughs) what if I do? I don't know. I'm going to have a great kiosk. Okay. But I just always knew I was going to be an artist. I never thought I would be an online educator though, teaching people how to run their own art businesses. Like I used to be I feel so often the things I say with my mouth that I say I never want to do are the things that inevitably happen because I used to say I will never be a teacher. And now I get to teach like thousands and thousands of people. But I digress. From learning how to draw when I was younger to then going to college and getting a degree in graphic design and fine arts, I, I had no idea how I was going to be an artist, how it would make money. If I was going to be a graphic designer, which is great, you know, I thought I could maybe become a professional graphic designer. But on the flippity flop, life is real. And I got married young to a guy who I'd known since I was 12. But we got married when I was 20 and he was 21 and still in college. And, you know, there's people who do things the smart way. And then there are people like me who are like, if it's going to be hard, bring it to me and I'll figure out how to handle it. Because everyone tells you getting married young is going to be hard. And I was like, I can handle it. No problem. But I got married young in college and put my husband through graduate school after college. And I went into management at Starbucks. I'd been a barista since my senior year of high school. And I just worked my little way up that ladder. And I was like, I need health insurance and I'm going to support my husband. And so I did that diligently. And I didn't draw for a very long time. And we, gosh, I graduated from college in December of 2007. And by February of 2008, I was pregnant with my first baby. And so then it was like focusing on having a baby and working at Starbucks. And again, like art was the furthest thing from my mind. 
But then as the story goes, my baby was born and I needed to decorate her nursery. So I whipped out some art. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was animal art and we couldn't afford anything else. And so I did that and I drew, I literally drew it with a Sharpie on Manila envelopes at first. Like literally that's what I had to draw it. I didn't have art supplies. And then I scanned it and digitized it in Adobe Illustrator. My stepfather-in-law had bought me a laptop because he heard me talk for a long time about how I wanted to be a real artist and a graphic designer, but I had no computer. And it was the sweetest gift anyone's ever given me, honestly, because he'd only been in our family for a few months. He married into our family and he was like, I want to invest in you. And he got me a laptop. And I'm like, oh, isn't that sweet? Conway Massey. He is the sweetest in the whole world. He probably won't listen to this, but Conway, you're great. (laughs) I'm being long-winded, but it all matters because... I think often people, when you see someone where I'm at now, which to jump ahead, I full disclosure, I do run a multi-million dollar illustration and online education business, right? That's not nothing. But there was a time when I couldn't even afford a computer and someone invested in me and gave me a leg up. And so uh, with that computer, I opened an Etsy store. My husband encouraged me to get on Etsy, which was new at the time. And I put just anything I could create on Etsy. And a lot of it was really crappy. Most of it was really crappy for years. I didn't get my first sale on Etsy for several months. And then it took years to really get anywhere with it. But once I kind of found my groove, which is where I think most people who are listening to this are probably where I was at for those first two and a half years. I mean, even further than that, and all artists, I think that I talked to at one point or another, remember where it feels like they're just throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks. They don't have a style. They don't have a voice. They think they're creative. They don't know which direction to go. They want to take every class. They do all the things and they're just like, is it ever going to work? And the thing about me is like, I'm just like everyone else. And I was just incredibly persistent. And finally, someone saw my art, a blogger, and shared it. And literally the description was like, all these other people, they love their work on Etsy. And then they're like, and then there's Gingerbread. I don't know what I like about it, but there's something I like about it. I can't quite say what it is. And I was like, cool. And immediately I started getting sales. And that was whenever blogs actually really meant something powerful in terms of instant conversion. And so, you know, I got a little, little bit of confidence. And so I'll flash forward for the sake of like taking all of our podcast time talking about my journey, because the truth is it was hard and excruciating and a lot of guessing and a lot of failure can't tell you the amount of money I have spent on products that didn't sell, the amount of mistakes I made, like a calendar I sold with all the dates wrong early on where I had to recall them and reprint a February of my owl calendar and ship it out to everybody individually, one sheet and post it. Oh my goodness. Oh, I once flew to New York for a pop-up store because I was like told that like it was this exclusive thing for only the best of the best nursery artists on Etsy because I kind of found my niche as a nursery artist flew all the way to Brooklyn. Everything went wrong on that trip, including like my Airbnb host canceling on me right before I got there and me having no place to stay. But I literally sold like less than a hundred dollars with a product and I'd flown all the way to Brooklyn oh, to this pop up shop. And I was there with my my Arkansas plaid. Like literally I'm wearing like a gingham plaid shirt as I talk. And I remember I was wearing like a gingham plaid red dress and I come from Arkansas with my handmade pillows <laughs> and nursery art. And all these like chic, chic New York women with their like strollers that like cost more than my car and they're black and white like uh you know nursery aesthetic were in there shopping and no one stopped at my booth and I felt so pathetic and one of my friends was there and like went to Whole Foods and bought me a sandwich because I was like I can't leave my booth what if someone was to buy something <laughs> and I ate that sandwich and I'm so thankful for that thank you Jaji so 
I, I have made a lot of mistakes, but what I've never done is stop. I've never stopped. And all that is to say is 14 years of never stopping and just going at it as if I'm not going to fail, even when I had so many times when I felt like a failure, meant that eventually through hard work and meeting a lot of people and putting myself out there and just continuously refining and not being ashamed of those mistakes, but kind of eventually wearing them like just as a badge of like, this is who I am. This is what's happened to me. I got somewhere. Eventually, I quit that day job. I ran Gingerbread full time, first from my dining room, then I got my first little studio outside of my home. And then I hired people here and there. And now on the product side of my business, we have like 11 people working for Gingerbread just on the product side alone. And it's all out of a, a studio in Springdale, Arkansas, which is where I live. And I went from being touching every part of my business to touching very few parts of the product side of my business. And I won't even talk about online education unless you want me to, except to say that it wasn't until 2020 that I actually did the thing I said I'd never do. And I started teaching people, (laughs) which I'm like, ah, I don't know how to teach. I'm not a teacher. Uh, But I started teaching people how to grow their own small creative businesses because I did it. I did it myself and I was self-taught and I don't have a business degree. And I've been doing that since, like I said, 2020. And I've taught over, I think I added it up today before this podcast, 60,000 people have come through my my free and paid programs, which is bananas, including you, Shirley. Yay! So that's my journey. (laughs) And that's it. That's everything. (laughs) Well, I'm sure it's not everything, but I have to back up. I know it's not everything. (laughs) I have to back up and say (laughs) that I love how you paint this picture of your story so realistically, because every single person who is listening to this podcast, including myself, have had the art show where they didn't make any sales, where they have had to send out a product because of a typo or a mistake I have with greeting cards. I mean, the list goes on and on with all the things you have to push through to make one step closer to what you dream of. And I've always appreciated that about you and how you are open about, hey, this is going to be hard. It's not easy. And you yet at the same time say it's possible. And I really love that you showed us your whole story because you did start by yourself making, if I recall, animal pillows by yourself In your dining room for Etsy to now, you know, having all these employees in different parts of your business. But we're going to get down to the meat here, which is how in the world do you hand off something that is your baby? You know, this business that you have built from the ground up that is so tied to who you are. How do you make that leap to then extend the hand and say, I need help. What did that look like for you? And if you could just take us into that part of your story from the very beginning. Yes. So I want to say something first before I kind of give you the why and the how. But there's two things I've been mulling on recently. First is the idea that once you, everyone has goals as artists and creative entrepreneurs, whether it's I 
want to sell enough of my art to buy my groceries this month with that, or I want to pay my mortgage, or I want to go on a family vacation using my art, or completely support everyone in my whole family with my art. We have all these goals. A lot of them are financial goals. But the truth is, I think sometimes as business owners and artists, we get fixated on the goal. And we get fixated on thinking that once I hit this certain goal, then everything will be better. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that since I've gone from doing it by myself to now having a team, my whole company has over 20 people who work for me. You always think once I hit a certain point, then everything's going to feel better and I'm going to feel happier. And uh, your business isn't going to fix that for you, first of all. So if you're someone who is holding everything so tightly, thinking like, once I hit this moment, then I will hire the person or I will take better care of myself or blah, blah, blah. All the excuses we have. I just want to tell you right now that that's, it doesn't work that way. Um, secondly, what I want to say is that I am someone who has really high standards in my company. But I am someone who doesn't micromanage anymore in my company. And here's why. I go back in time and I think about when I was running my business by myself. And I have this thing that I say, and sometimes the universe laughs at me and throws it back in my face, but slow growth is good growth. And the universe has been laughing at me a lot the past couple of years. I won't talk about that right now. But for you know the first 10, 11 years of my business, it was very slow growth. And slow growth is good for a lot of reasons. You can learn as you go. You have the pace to learn as you go. You have the pace to make decisions that work with where you're at in your life. You don't have to shoot from the hip all the time. You know, slow growth lets you plan and kind of see what's coming and reflect on what's happened. And I'm a reflector and I need to reflect in order to make good decisions. But at the same time, my growth could have been a lot faster if I would brought people into my world sooner in my business. And I, you know, for several years, did it all by myself. Like so many people, I did the art. I was at one point hand making and selling aprons myself. I was uh, hand making the pillows. I was, gosh, hand cutting cards at one point because I didn't want to spend money on having my cards cut. So I was using a paper cutter that I got at a thrift store. I mean, I was doing everything I could to pinch a penny because I did not want to take any money out of my pocket because I wanted to take care of my family because the truth is we did not have money. We did not have money. And I think everybody who's listening to this at one point or or another has felt that way. And it really feels like you are robbing yourself if you ever were to use any of the money that you have brought in, the little money that you brought in with your business in the beginning and pay someone to come in and help you. I get that. But I got over it pretty quickly because I don't know what made me get there. It's not like I'd read a book. In fact, I hated reading business books until recently in the past couple of years. I was really like anti any self-help crap. I was like, I don't need that. (laughs) Uh, For so long, I was pretty stubborn. I think the first thing that I realized is that I could not keep up cutting all the fabric myself for these pillows I was making. And it was shocking how many pillows I was selling. Guys, I spent all my evenings sewing pillows. I was buying the, I was one of Spoonflower's top customers for years because of all the fabric I was buying from Spoonflower with my pillow fronts on them and hand cutting them. And I'd spend my evenings, you know, cutting and sewing pillows and stuffing them. And it was redonkulous, uh, but I couldn't keep up. So I was like, I need some help cutting and sewing pillows. And so I, I brought someone in. I, I, I hired, you know, and wrote my job application, interviewed people. And I was like, look at me go. I have no idea what I'm doing. And the woman I hired, she was nice, but she actually wasn't doing a very good job with the pillows. So instead of being a boss, I re-sewed all the pillows without even talking to her. Because I was like, oh, no, I have someone who works for me now. 
but I don't know how to have conflict or healthy conversations with people because I don't know how to be a boss. So instead of telling her, hey, these don't work, I literally, you know, when you have a pillow that's stuffed, I mean, I unstuffed the whole oh. thing and I restuffed it and reclosed it. <laughs> oh and gosh. I was a total coward and I lost time and money because I didn't know what to do. So for a lot of people, that's your worst fear is that you're going to have a bad hire or it's, or they're going to be slow or it's going to take a lot of time to train someone to help you. But the, I mean, I, I was there and I remember just feeling sick to my stomach and I didn't even want to fire her when she was doing a bad job. I waited for her to leave because, you know, I was just like, yeah, it's going to work itself out. Sometimes it does. But I will tell you what I learned from that is that like my time is valuable and I was wasting my time re-sewing pillows. And uh, for a lot of people, they stop right there. The first mistake that happens with bringing someone in to help them, whatever they hand off, the first inclination of something bad, they're like, see, it happened bad. It's bad. I can't do it. But instead, I was like, well, <laughs> truth is, instead, I was like, I hate pillows. I'm going to stop making pillows. That's, <laughs> that's what I did at first. Um, I really did. But, but really, what happened is, I, I, I'm a reflector. At a time, I was able to see like, you know, there was an opportunity there and I kind of blew it because I was afraid to have a hard conversation. I was, I didn't know how to train someone. I had never like really formulated like, how would I show show someone how to make a pillow the way I would like, want it to be made? How do I have it up to gingerbread standards? I didn't know what to do. So then we go forward to when my next hire was my sister, whom I trust like with everything. And she wasn't a creative hire. She was like, probably the hire that a lot of people should start with, which is an administrative hire. She helped me with spreadsheets and answering emails. Now, Angie literally runs the entire product division of Gingerbread. She's been with me for a heck of a long time. I and mean, my whole life, she's my older sister, but you know, she's worked with me for such a long time. And it was probably the best hire that I could make because the truth is I'm disorganized. I was keeping all my receipts in a box underneath my table and I actually needed more help with the administrative side of things, even when I was only selling a couple hundred dollars a month worth of stuff versus, you know, the creative work, which I knew how to do. It's really hard to teach people how to do creative work. So as you can tell now, we've hired a lot of people. And the biggest hire that might surprise people, which um, it's funny, I, I do, a, I have a vision board class that I used to teach online, like in 2021, maybe. And I think I mentioned in that vision board class that I wanted to hire an assistant illustrator for Gingerbread because I all these years I've been doing all the artwork for gingerbread myself and that's a lot of art if, have you seen how much art I have I can be prolific but even someone who like is feels really nimble with what they do and competent gets tired and I actually had interest in other things I wanted to explore in my business and so I think I put it on my vision board in that class that I wanted to hire an uh, assistant illustrator about that time I was like I began to think like in my dream world, if I could do anything I wanted for myself, for me, to free me up so that I didn't feel like I was beholden to my business 100% of the time and had to be on creatively all the time, could I have someone help me with the art? And a lot of artists would never want to do this, I think, because they think it's so personal. Art is personal. My art is very personal. But you are also personal because you're a person. And if you're not taking care of yourself, you're going to want to give up anyways, right? And you should know your own signs, your own triggers of whenever you're approaching creative burnout. And I was there. I was getting there even in 2021. So I began to just put my radar out. I was like, I need an assistant illustrator. But I didn't like tell everyone I was necessarily looking. But I just began paying attention. And I've had this really cool thing happen in my business over and over again that whenever I've been in a good mental health space, what I ask for comes to me. 
I swear it happens all the time. Even my sister Angie the other day was like, I'm scared of your vision board sometimes, Stacy, because everything happens on it. It doesn't always happen the way I think it's going to happen, but it does. So I just began paying attention to other artists on social media. And this artist kind of kept coming around and around when I'm on my feed and I was looking at her. And it turned out she was from my hometown of Springfield, Missouri. And I was like, I wonder if I could hire her freelance for a few months to try to do some illustration work for me. I created the design briefs and everything. And, and people are like, how can you bring someone in to draw for Gingerbur when you are Gingerbur? Well, I'm Stacy Bloomfield and I run Gingerbur, but people often think I am Gingerbur. But 11 years, 12 years into my business, I have a good idea of what makes Gingerbur stand out. I have a color palette that it's an extensive color palette, but I have kind of a color story that I use. So I made a color guide. I know the brushes that I use in Procreate, and I know the pens I use when I'm drawing by hand. And I, I know exactly who my target audience is, like who likes to buy Gingerbread products. Because by that point with Gingerbread, we were already a million-dollar company if you combine product and education. And we were selling in over 1,200 brick-and-mortar stores. And I had a pretty good idea of who liked us. And so I was really organized. So I thought, I can do this. So I invited her for a call on Zoom and I talked it over with her and she was thrilled. So I gave her a couple of holiday design briefs and she just went to town with it. And the first stuff that she turned in and Rebecca, if you're listening, hey, Rebecca, you know, she will tell you like we didn't hit the nail on the head right away. It was back and forth. I became creative director, Stacey. I put on my creative director hat, creative directing for a gingerbread as opposed to holding it all in myself. But I will tell you that it was not terrifying at that point at all. A lot of people would be terrified, but I knew it's what I needed to do because I was really in tune with what my needs were at that point. And when she came along, I was like, this is great. And it wasn't perfect right away that we had open, direct discussions about like, here's how we should do this. Hand lettering was hard for her. We're still working on it. So I was going in and updating the hand lettering myself. And I was going in and adding line work. And every piece of artwork she created for us in that first three months, I was still editing and tweaking and touching. And some of it I redrew with her knowledge and permission when we just couldn't figure it out. Uh, But it was this learning process. And once we got the first art out there on products into the world that she created, I mean, she was ecstatic. She was so happy. And I was so happy because... All of a sudden, I was a job creator for another artist, which up until that point, all the jobs that I'd created were, you know, assembly jobs, administrative jobs, things. But, you know, it had not been other creatives. And all of a sudden, I like saw myself in Rebecca. And I was remembering like, man, when I was early in my career, because she'd only been doing this for like two or three years, self-taught, younger than me, super cute, just had a baby. I like saw myself in her a little bit. And I was like, man. I, when I was her age, I didn't know that it was even possible to be able to work for other people and to get your art onto product this way. And it just felt like this full circle thing for me. And letting that part go and empower and trusting someone was hard, but it's been worth it. Because now, if you're a creative business owner and you're the bottleneck in your business at any point, your business cannot grow. Not just a creative business owner, but any business owner. If anything hinges on you entirely to where people are waiting on you, your business is going to stagnate. And that's where I was at. People were waiting on me to make edits on things constantly. We'll be back after this short break. 
Today, I'm celebrating 50 episodes of the Tillage Podcast. Thank you so much for being here every step of the way. And if you want to celebrate with me today, I would love if you would take a moment and share your love of the show by writing a review. This review came in from Kat and she says, Surely in her guest's ability to get at the mental and emotional struggles of a working creative has helped me navigate my career shift as a new mom. The encouragement is always a gentle reminder to be patient with myself and the time it takes to do right by my work. In a world steeped in social media overwhelm and comparison culture, the Tillage Podcast is a refreshing and invigorating dip in a cool body of water for your mind and heart. Do yourself a favor and give it a listen. Thank you so much, Kat, for this review. I'm so thankful that you listen and that it's encouraging you in your journey. And I'm wishing you all the best on this new career shift. Now back to the show. There are three things that you said that I want to highlight. And the first was knowing what you wanted and what that vision was for yourself in order to then make the actions to get there. I think so many of us don't even know what that looks like. So the idea of growing to a certain point, we don't even know what that could be. And so we're not making those decisions now to lead us there. So that's the first thing I just want to highlight is that I think, you know, we talk a lot about this on the podcast is like knowing your why you know, having a really grounding idea of what you want your lifestyle to be and what you want your future to be from your business. And so you had that. And so therefore you were able to make the decisions to get there. The second thing you said was, was really disconnecting yourself from your business. So you are Stacy Bloomfield. You are not Gingerbread. So like disconnecting that is what then allowed you the freedom to pursue an illustrator to help you because it no longer was the Stacy show. Like you were inviting other people into that so that you could grow your business. And that's really hard, especially for those who who, like myself often wear my business or who I am as an artist, as this identity. And so releasing that is huge. And then the third thing you said was all about scarcity. So believing and trusting and maybe making some risks. Like you said, it's really hard to hire somebody when you barely can pay yourself. But taking that leap of faith and trusting that it's going to be worth it and that this is a step of growth is huge. And so I loved that you really touched on all three of those things. And I just want to dig in a little bit deeper to that word trust, because this has been a fascination of mine lately, because I'm feeling it within myself. And it's been touched on on a lot of episodes, because I just love to hear people's thoughts about how have you grown in your trust of the things on your vision board, of the future that you see for yourself? Like, how has that looked for you? Well, you're talking to me at a curious time in my life, Shirley, because I made my big fancy vision board, the one that like, I literally have hit everything on my vision board back in, it was like early 2021. Like I started in 2020, but I shared it in early 2021. And as of the time of this recording, the last big thing on my vision board is happening. Um, I haven't really talked about it on social media a, a lot. And I... I've been thinking about how I want to talk about it, but I'll talk a little bit about it here. I'm currently sitting in France. 
in Nice, France, in the south of France, on a long sabbatical from Gingerbur because Gingerbur can run without me right now. And on my vision board, I'll, I'm getting a little silly how these things matter, but um, on my vision board, I had all these different things. I categorized my vision board with uh, several categories. There's financial goals, including the school my daughter gets to go to. I never thought I'd be able to send her there. One of my kids goes to a private school, and I never thought we could afford to send her there, and she goes there now. And new siding on my house was something I desperately wanted, and it was on my vision board, and I paid for it in cash in 2022 through my business. And there are personal goals, like go to therapy, which I go to consistently. Exercise, I go to Pilates three times a week back home, and it's more mental health than anything work. But on my personal Stacy vision board was to be sitting in this coffee shop in Scotland. And I was just there two weeks ago at the coffee shop, the one that was on my vision board, and I was drawing and listening to a podcast. And I was like, I'm here. And I had a picture of this on my vision board for all these years. And it felt insane. And like, I can't believe this has actually happened. <laughs> Goosebumps all over me. <laughs> yeah. It's called The Milkman. It's in Edinburgh. And I'm actually going back there next week. We're going to fly back to Scotland because Scotland's my favorite place in the world. And so how did that happen? How did all these things that when I created this only two years ago felt impossible that they are here and real? And I want to remind you what I just said early in the podcast that you can have all the goals that you hit happen and come to fruition, which is fantastic. And the vision come to life. But that doesn't change the things that still need to change inside of you. Does that make sense? Like, because even the absence of work, which has been good for me, because I was really, I was burned out, man, before I left, truly, even with the stress of work on took me about three weeks for that to go away. I'm still Stacy. And the struggles that Stacy has are still there. And it doesn't magically go away just because I checked the box. And that's something to remember. And I'm, I'm just chewing on that for a little bit. But how did that get to happen? I've always had this unwavering faith that the things I say that will happen will happen. And I get real mad <laughs> when they don't happen. And I'll find any way for them to happen mainly. I, I'm very persistent. I'm a very persistent person, but also I, I grew up very religious. I, 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 I'm not practicing in the same way that I was growing up, but I think that what was instilled with me is that there is some kind of higher power looking out for us. Like, is the universe truly on our side? We got to think yes, right? And I would not call myself a natural optimist. I'm actually kind of a pessimist. If you are around me too much, you might see a little bit of that. Uh, my family can tell you. But I have to believe that the universe is on our side and it's our job to let the universe kind of push us where it wants to take us. And so then at a certain point, you kind of become this vessel being like, all right, just kind of flow through me, man, flow through me and take me where I'm supposed to go. So all things flow through me to do good. My art that I create hopefully flows through me, gets on a product and helps people the company I'm building, it's not perfect by any means, but hopefully the jobs we're creating and the people who get to work for us at some point enjoy the job they have. The job creation flows through me to do something for someone else, like give Rebecca an illustration career with us. Or, you know, one of my employees, Holly, posted a few weeks ago, we, we give everyone on the product side of the team who works locally uh, two paid weeks off a year, one week during the summer and one week during the winter. And it's in addition to vacation. And she wrote on Instagram and she's like, our owner of our company is a small business. And yet she chooses to do this because she believes that like, we should be able to take care of ourselves and take care of our family. And she wrote this nice thing about it. And I was like, 
that's that's good. That's good. That's something that when I started my company, when I worked for Starbucks all those years ago, and I was working, you know, 18 hours a day as a manager sometimes because people would call in sick and I was working all the time and I couldn't even be with my baby. No one was thinking, you know, it'd be good for Stacy to be with her family right now because she just gave birth to a baby. No offense, Starbucks. You did some good things for me. But, you know, that wasn't happening. And um, we're not a perfect company, but it's flowed through us and it's given people something. And that feels like a gift. And it's a choice we made. But I have to trust that, like, everything led us there. And then the thing I think a lot of us do is we set goals for our business, but not like for taking good care of ourselves. So like me disconnecting from work, like would I have liked to have gone on my sabbatical empowered and walking out like, I'm so ready for this. I'm so rested and have taken such good care of myself all year. And now I get to prance off of Scotland. I would have loved that. But instead I was limping here because I, I was not taking great care of myself. I was just trying to tie up a lot of loose ends and hadn't been taking great care of myself. And so I, I was like a whimper. Like, yeah, <laughs> I hit the thing on my vision board. Check, but it's really good now that I'm here. So I think you have to be intentional with what you want. I think you have to say out loud what you want, even if it sounds bananas. There's a lot of things I've said I've wanted that haven't happened yet, surely. <laughs> and I'm just going to assume they're going to happen at some point. And I think you just have to be willing to accept that it, if it does happen, it might look differently than you think it will. And that's okay. Right? Yeah. I think what you just stated is something that a lot of people consistently have a hard time with, which is, I'm going to take this line of the title of this book called Playing Big. I was just re-listening to it on oh this trip. Oh my trip. goodness. Well, Stacy, you're the one who told me about it. And it's been life-changing. It's a book by a woman named Tara Moore. And she talks about this concept of playing big. And what we do within ourselves to hold ourselves back and continue to play small and what you have done in your life and even made Gingerbread to be is bigger than you, which when you're talking about giving Rebecca this job, this dream job, it just gave me chills because I'm like, you made something that was so much bigger than just you that you now get to invite people that benefit from it, which is so incredible that I would only hope to achieve to be at that level someday where I go, wow, this is bigger than me, that it's impacting people's lives and their finances. It's it's truly incredible, Stacey. I know I'm like just gushing all over you, but I'm just like, that's really hard. It's hard to trust and it's hard to have these audacious goals and these banana dreams and play big. And I have always appreciated that about you. So for you, since you're also just reading it, what's been impactful for you that she's stated in her book that might be a little nugget for people to take with them after listening to this episode? If they're looking at you and what you've created and the many years you've been at this, and they're just at the beginning of their little journey, what would you have to say about like what you've learned from this book, Playing Big? Ooh, this is my third time reading it. So a couple of things in Playing Big that if you've read it, you need to read it. I know it seems like it's pretty much for women and probably most of your listeners are. 
I was actually trying to listen to it out loud. So my husband would have to listen to it too. And he like left the room and I was like, stop it. Uh, but like, um, <laughs> Tara talks about your inner mentor. And there was a time when I first read this book. So here, let me paint this picture because if we're going to learn to trust in ourselves, it's really hard to, whenever we look at ourselves in our current day, day in and day out, and all we see are, are deficits, right? Like when I'm in a bad headspace and I'm not taking good care of myself, I don't see Stacy as the winner or the Stacy who has all these vanity metrics on social media or even the Stacy who, you know, I feel like I've gotten to help a lot of people through what I do with my online education, with leverage art, my courses, and also through my products. And there's so much to be proud of. But when you're in a bad headspace, you don't see that. You don't see your strengths. So you feel like, like I said, you feel like you're limping along and you're just hoping no one sees you as the imposter you really are. So a lot of times, whenever we feel that way, we're looking for someone to guide us. We're looking for the educator who can put us in the right direction. And we're looking for the teacher who can just give us the magic nugget. You know, like if only, you know, I take this course and I teach courses and I love teaching courses. But if I take this course and everything will be fixed for me and my business, if I, you know, go to this conference, all of a sudden I'm going to meet the right people and bada bing, bada boom, all my problems are going to be solved. But the truth is, Maybe the person we need to listen to is what's called our inner mentor, which is this uh, visualization of our future self and our future self actually guiding us towards where we need to be. So when I first did this exercise, it broke my heart because when I closed my eyes to imagine future Stacy 20 years from now, I couldn't imagine her. She, I could not. And I usually am someone with a lot of vision, hence vision board, but not just vision board. I've always known where I want to go. But as I began to like tick all the boxes and all my goals that I've, that I've had, I was like, what's next? And I felt kind of empty and I'd been working myself to the bone. And I was feeling really sad because I could not visualize like a version of Stacey 20 years in the future who is calm and happy and healthy. I couldn't visualize it. But whenever I redid this visualization last week, literally is whenever I did it, uh, you know, Tara has these prompts, these journaling prompts. So you imagine yourself, close your eyes, and you like, it's woo-woo. Okay. It's so woo-woo. <laughs> it's so good. You imagine yourself like floating up onto a, a beam of light from where you're currently at. And you're floating up in the air, and then you slide back down onto another beam of light, and you pay attention to the color. Okay, get through that. But essentially, you're trying to get to where you can see yourself 20 years into the future, like imagining it. Imagining 20 years in the future where Stacy lives. And what she looks like and what her, what her house is decorated as and what music is playing and all the things. And then you imagine that you ask her a question and she gives you like a gift to take away with you. And, you know, then you come back. And so reading this, I was, I imagined myself. And uh, so I was in a Paris hotel whenever I was doing this visualization and I visualized myself like on this bright white lights. And whenever I came down, I was like in Cape Cod, blue shingled house. And it was kind of in the woods, but the weather was great. And I could see the water and there were no mosquitoes in my visualization because I don't like mosquitoes. And I walked up to the door and I knocked on the door and my future self opened up the door to me. And it was me and she was 20 years older, still had some wrinkles. Her hair was all gray right now. I'm just rocking this one gray streak in the front. She was not anxious and she wasn't surprised to see me at all. And she welcomed me in and I'll kind of get to the point here, but she handed me 
a portfolio of all of the work that I've created over the last 20 years specifically. And you have to understand that for me, I have felt like I don't know what the future holds for me. I've handed off creating art to people on my team, even though I still make art. And, um, but I've been feeling a little uninspired. And it's not like this was fortune telling guys. This is just like your inner mentor. And she was like, just handed me my art that I'd made for the last 20 years, art that I'd never seen before. And I can't even tell you what it was, but it was like representative of the fact that future Stacy is happy and healthy and calm and well taken care of and is not anxious and has is showing me that you were okay over the last 20 years and you made art. But the idea is that that version of you, that version of you, even though it's a dream, she could exist. And it's probably not going to be exactly like that. But from now on, whenever you're struggling and you're thinking, oh, I need help. I need the question answered here. You stop for a second and you think, what would my inner mentor tell me right now? The idea is that we have it inside of us actually to know the answers to what we need because no one knows us better than we do, right? Right. And I think it's really easy to get distracted by all the shiny things in front of us and like our own insecurities, you know, they're glaring at us and we can't hear ourselves. But if we can get calm and get back to, I think where I've been there in the past where I'm intuitive and I can listen to my own voice. Like this morning, one of my kids was upset about something and I literally stopped myself and I thought, what would Stacy 20 years from now wish I had done at this moment? Aww. And Stacy 20 years from now would have wished that I had gotten down and been gentle and just taken my time talking with her. And um, that's hard to do day in and day out, I know, but like it literally came to me in that moment. And I, I actually felt proud of myself. And how often do we walk away from an interaction where our kids were like, I did a good job as a parent. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of like from the book, I think one of the bigger takeaways for me is that, okay, but another thing I won't go into detail about, but she talks about two different types of fear. And one type of fear that we can experience is called pahad fear. And it's actually the fear of whenever we're on the cusp of something, when we're growing. And so often whenever we are growing, it is scary because we've never been there before. And there's not anyone, especially if you're being guided by your inner mentor, <laughs> she hasn't been there yet. You can imagine she has, but truthfully, like no one's really holding your hand through that experience, but you and it's scary. And so Pahad is the type of fear that we have whenever we are on the cusp of something, of growing. And it is uncomfortable and scary, but we push through because on the other side of it is the next level we need to be at, hopefully. There's another type of fear, but I don't remember what it is in the book. But it's the type of fear that I think most of us give into, which is whenever we're scared, like we need help, but we don't know how to hire. So instead, we just shut down our businesses. And I'm not dissing anyone who's done that. I've done things in my business that I like regret. And there's parts of my business I don't even have anymore, you know, where I've had to let go of things that weren't right. But I think we've all had the kind of fear that makes us want to dig our head in the sand and run away. Yeah. And what stinks about that is whenever we give into that, we are missing out on perhaps channeling Pahad instead, which is the type of fear that actually is taking you somewhere better, right? If we like listen to our inner mentor. So, hey, Tara, if you're listening to this podcast, I love your book. So I so reached out to her to be on the podcast. She's a busy woman, I know, but she's just great. I think that anyone who desires to really accomplish the things like if you were in a room by yourself, nobody was there that you could say out loud some of your deep 
desires and dreams without fear of being laughed at. Like if you were able to say that out loud, this book, I think, empowers you to reach those things because it's really doing the inner work. Like you're talking about Stacy of like battling the fear, battling all the things that we let get in our way. And I just think that this whole topic very much relates to, like you were saying, letting go, hiring, not holding so much tightness to what you've created, because in letting that go, you have been able to play even bigger instead of just staying at your dining room table, restuffing pillows. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, I could still be there. I could be the handmade pillow queen and I would not be here on my trip right now on my dream sabbatical. But hey, you know, I think we all have our lessons to learn. And I I think that what letting go looks like in my business will look different than what it does for you, Shirley. And yeah, like the goal is not for anyone to recreate my business or your business model. The goal is to start trusting ourselves enough to know what we need so that we can let go of the correct things so that we can play bigger in other areas. So for instance, letting go in one area of my product-based business now means I'm playing bigger in the other part of my business, which is where I'm coaching and helping artists with their own business goals. And who knows? To circle back to what you said, I'm not, I'm Stacey Bloomfield. I'm not Gingerbur. And that's something I'm chewing on right now with online education. Like right now it's called Learn with Stacey Bloomfield, but I might change the name honestly to something else. Because again, if it all centers on me, there's not an opportunity for me to ever bring other people in to help like as a team as easily. Because, you know, if it's just me, then the name on me, there's nothing wrong with that if that's your business model. But for me, it's not where I go. So that's where you're catching me right now where I'm thinking about these things. Maybe in 2024, we'll see something different there. But I'm thinking about like, well, what does it mean for me to play big here? What do I want to let go of? And what's the vision for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of this, all of this comes back to reflection and being really intentional with getting comfortable with dealing with all that stuff inside and... I think that that's why I love having these conversations because we're all on a journey and we're all working through all these things that come our way on this little artist journey. So I have enjoyed this conversation so much. And if people are interested in you, I know I'm just going to put a quick plug in here. You have a course coming out called Leverage Your Art that I am the hugest fan of, and I will be talking about it a lot. So if they're interested in Leverage Your Art, all the things that you do, where can they find you online and connect with you? Leverage Your Art is the signature course that I only do once a year. It's an eight-week course. It started out as an art licensing course, but has turned into teaching artists how to create an amazing body of artwork and then leverage it into different income streams. Art licensing is one creating products is another. As artists, we're multifaceted and we have a lot of different interests and things we like to do. And I think sometimes it's discovery of trying different things to figure out where we're at. Like for instance, I've loved watching your journey, Shirley, you know, uh, and now you're on doing this podcast and I'm a guest on it. And who would have thought that when you joined my course in 2020, it's open for enrollment at the end of August and that's leverageyourart.com. 
I have a website called stacybloomfield.com to learn more about just me as an online educator. And then gingerbrewer.com is my product-based business, which I'm super duper proud of. Our tea towel club subscription was recently featured in the New York Times flyer cutter, which was really awesome. Uh, that's Yay. something I could talk about all day. And then on Instagram, gingerbrewer is the best place to find me. I love getting to help artists. I love seeing all the different possibilities for artists because I'm a huge proponent of the fact that we all have different lives and different ways that we need to operate our businesses. And my goal is to give you information and a toolkit that you can use to adapt to the business that you want and need to create. And again, slow, it's slow, steady growth. There's no, if anyone's telling you creating a business is easy, then they're lying to you because that's not true. (laughs) And I want to say that honestly, (laughs) it's not easy, but is it something that can give you some freedom in your life? Yeah. And if you don't try, will you always regret it? Probably. So that's why I get to do what I do. Oh my gosh. Well, my cheeks are hurting because I'm smiling so much. I've just enjoyed this immensely, Stacy, And I just want to say thank you again for being here on the Tillage podcast today. My pleasure, Shirley. You're a delight and I'm just thankful. And I hope your listeners like this, like this interview. Thanks for having me. Here are the key takeaways from today's episode. Slow growth is good growth. It allows you to learn as you go, make informed decisions and plan for the future. Being the sole bottleneck in your business will hinder its growth. Delegating tasks that don't need your expertise can help you focus on what you do best and grow your business more quickly. Taking care of yourself allows you to maintain your creativity and sustain your business in the long run. Setting clear goals and visions for your business is important, but it's also key to remain open to how those goals are achieved. A combination of unwavering faith and persistence drives the achievement of goals. Visualizing your goals and vocalizing them out loud, even if they seem far-fetched, can help solidify your commitment to achieving them. What would it look like if you played bigger? And what is currently holding you back? And lastly, trusting in one's own inner mentor, which is the visualization of a future self, can provide guidance and answers. Learning to listen to your intuition and seeking solutions from within can lead to more confident decision-making. Thanks again for listening to the Tillage Podcast. It brings me so much joy knowing that you spent your very precious time with me here today. If you want more, head on over to thetillagepodcast.com for today's show notes. And I'll be back next week with another episode.